Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. just wanted to jump in here before we get into our featured artist and our guest interview to put it out there that while I often on here encourage people to keep submitting to things, if you get rejections, you know, let it roll off your back. It's hard. I this week got three rejections in a row that were things I really cared about. And Some of it was funding, like I got rejected from two grant applications. So it's a little bit demoralizing. It's frustrating. It's hard to pick yourself up and keep it going. And I don't know if the view that I put out to the world makes it seem like I've got things together, but I really don't. (laughs) It can be so easy to look at the pretty picture that a lot of people paint, and I totally do this as well. We share the best parts on social media and maybe less often share the disappointments, the struggles, the challenges, the crappy art that we make to get to the good art, the things that are just not so pretty. So with that in mind, I am going to try to do better at sharing both sides But I also have been thinking a lot about how to expand what gets shared here and make room, make space for more voices here. One way that I've been thinking about for a while, but just kind of couldn't wrap my head around was to offer Instagram takeovers. And I have finally figured out how to make that work. And I'm so excited to have a few people starting to sign up for Instagram takeovers. So it will be coming. Keep an eye out. If you are interested, you can sign up. There's a link on Instagram, but I will also drop that link in the show notes here. And I've also gotten some questions about that. Like, what is this whole takeover thing? How does that work? So it just means that you get to post from my account from that teaching artist podcast for a day. So you add a few posts, just sharing your kind of day to day, sharing a bit of your story. And then you also can share in the stories. So it's a great way to share more voices and connect with each other a little bit more and hopefully feel less alone in all of this. I have also been continuing to work on some exciting programming for the Art Educators Lounge, which is a monthly community meeting that I'm hosting with Victoria Fry of Visionary Art Collective. We are alternating between a guest speaker and a community meeting. When we do have a speaker, there's a small fee that goes towards paying that speaker because we want to make sure that the speakers who are facilitating really amazing workshops are paid for their time and their expertise. Our next meeting on March 27th, and they will always be the last Saturday 
of the month at 9 a.m. Pacific time, 12 p.m. Eastern. The next one coming up on March 27th will be all about studios. So we are sharing our spaces and whoever attends will share your space. Hopefully we will have a small enough group that everybody gets a chance to kind of go around and share. And we'll also just be talking through some tips for studio organization, especially for those of us who are working from home. So kind of carving out that space to create. I will be sending out more information about how to sign up and how to attend the Art Educators Lounge. You can also keep an eye on our Instagram and make sure you're on our email list to get notified when that registration opens up. And we're now setting up all of those meetings through Eventbrite. So I know a few people had tried to kind of click through the link right at the time of the event for last month's meeting and missed out because you have to actually click through and go like register, sign up through Eventbrite for a ticket ahead of time. Even for the free events, you still have to kind of sign up ahead of time. So make sure you do that if you want to attend and then you should get an email from Eventbrite that gives you all that information you need to be able to just click right through and attend on the day of. So I'm very excited about the Art Educators Lounge. So this month we're doing studio shares. In April, we have an amazing guest speaker lined up. Keep an eye out for all the info about what we have coming up for Art Educators Lounge. And one last thing before I jump into our artists is our spring open call is up for another two weeks. It closes on March 28th. This one is juried by myself and Maria Coit. And we are so excited to see your work. We love seeing the submissions coming in. You can submit your work at playinspiregallery.com slash open call or check the link in the show notes. And we both are also looking at submissions in consideration for future opportunities. So a lot of the featured artists that I've been sharing here, I actually found through the winter open call. And even a few of the artists that I've interviewed recently were artists that I discovered through our winter open call. As I said at the beginning, I face rejection as well, and it's so hard. And I've talked about this with some other artists who run platforms or help run artist spaces, any sort of places where you're involved in sending those rejections, but you're also an artist yourself and you get those rejections. It is so difficult to like hit send on those emails. So my goal is that you know, anybody submitting, I'm looking at your work and saying like, hmm, it's maybe not quite right for this exact open call, but I am going to keep you in mind for real. Like, (laughs) that's not just a form letter saying like, we will keep you in mind. No, really, I'm going to keep you in mind and find an opportunity that will fit. Find some way of helping share your work, promote your work. So yeah, it is <laughs> it is hard to see those rejections. But again, telling myself as much as I'm telling you, don't let those rejections stop you from continuing to make the amazing work that you make. 
and continuing to put it out into the world in all the ways that you can, whether that is submitting it, sending it in, let us see it, or, you know, just continuing to post it and share it on social media. Keep at it. You've got this. Each week, I'm sharing a featured artist as well as a guest interview. I'll share a bit about the featured artist here, as well as sharing images of their work on Instagram and on the website. This week's featured artist is Zoe Cronin. Zoe is an interdisciplinary fiber artist, gardener, and educator. She will earn her BFA in art education with minors in fibers and sustainability from Massachusetts College of Art and Design in May of this year. She spent the fall 2019 semester studying in India, where she participated in a block printing and natural dyeing workshop in Bagru outside of Jaipur, Rajasthan. At the time of her graduation, she will be licensed to teach K-12 visual arts in Massachusetts, CELTA certified to teach English to speakers of other languages, and hopes to teach art internationally one day. She's also a gardener, advocate for food sovereignty, and actively volunteers on urban farms in Dorchester and Mattapan, Massachusetts. Zoe says, My practice investigates the intersection of environment, sustainability, textiles, craft, place, and community through fibers, printmaking, and traveling. I study humanity's relationship to material, environment, land, and nature as I teach, weave, knit, print, and experiment with natural dyes. My work brings 3D form to things in the natural that are unseen, misunderstood, or can only be imagined. I am fascinated by woven textiles and am deeply inspired by textile history, common humanity, and places I have traveled to. Cranberry bogs are also an ongoing source of inspiration. I love how Zoe is visualizing climate and weather through colors in some of her fiber work. So beautiful. We'll be sharing her work on social media and in our blog at teachingartistpodcast.com. Would you like to be featured? You can submit work at teachingartistpodcast.com slash opportunities. I loved how Greg talked about art being all about solving problems and how that was what excited him about being an artist. He shared how he sets parameters in the classroom and encourages students to solve problems in their own unique ways. It was also so refreshing and helpful to hear how he focuses on the positive in his work and allows himself to step away and take breaks when things aren't working in the studio. It felt like permission to not push so hard, which is sometimes really needed. I'm also excited about the podcast Greg's developing and will keep an eye out to share that when it launches. We talked a little bit about crypto art and I couldn't remember at the time of our conversation, but it was Candido Crespo who introduced me to crypto art. So thank you, Candido. Okay, let's hear from Greg. So I am talking with Gregory Quick today, and I can't wait to hear more about your background and your teaching and your art making. I like to just start with that background. 
Could you share a little bit of your story? How did you become a teacher and an artist? Did one come first? First, I'll say thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm very excited to be on here. But to answer your question, I guess being an artist came first for sure. Mm -hmm. I had a very, I guess you could say untraditional introduction to art because growing up, I never was the kid who just drew all the time. Mm -hmm. I started kind of drawing in third grade, you know, but it was just basic small stuff like the box cars with the huge wheels on them and stuff like that. And as I got older, it progressed into drawing cartoon characters or drawing something mm -hmm. for somebody. I didn't really take art seriously until I got to college. Mm -hmm. When I got to college, I was an athletic training major because I wanted to mm -hmm. learn sports. But I quickly realized that my personality and my attention span was kind of too short for something like that. And I needed to kind of be creative because I've always been very curious and intuitive. And I always wanted to be doing something. Mm -hmm. Always kind of hard for me to just sit in one spot and not be doing something right so fast forward a little bit athletic training major and I'm not doing well in college <laughs> so I speak to my advisor he tells me he's like you know you may need to change your major so I begin trying to figure out what I wanted to do mm. mind you I'm not really actively creating art at this time mm. my best friend he was a graphic design major he told me he was like you know you know you can draw so you should just try it so that's really where my art journey got started I guess you can say I started taking those classes and I just fell in love with the process of solving a problem you know because in art school they give you those parameters it is just like now go figure it out mm -hmm. bring something back bring a product back and you know I relished in that I loved mm -hmm. doing it and, you know, after I graduated, I graduated with a degree in art and a minor in graphic design. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once I graduated, I began painting because I never took a painting class in college. That was the one wow. class I ever took. And that's the main thing I do now is paint. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess you can say I'm a self-taught painter. Oh, and yeah. That's my passion. That's my passion is painting. And awesome. teaching came into play because... As I reflected on college and the lack of knowledge that I had in art, mm -hmm. I realized that came from not really having a solid background as far as having art teachers through middle school and high school and things like that. You know, art was kind of an afterthought for the schools I went to, at least. Yeah. So I felt that it was kind of my responsibility to kind of give back, mm -hmm. give back to kids who look like myself, you know, mm -hmm. and really give them an opportunity to have that level of equity in the field of art, you know, if they so choose to go that route with their lives, you know, and just to kind of give them that encouragement to know that, you know, I can do this too. I don't have to conform to the status quo of being, you know, doctor, lawyer, nurse, athlete, whatever, entertainer. I can do something different. I can be unique and I can accept myself for being an individual and being different. I don't think creativity is always given a spotlight. You know, I think it's kind of an afterthought until somebody wants something from the creators. Yeah. That was a long-winded answer, but that's kind of no, how, how I how love I, that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And you talked about how one thing that kind of stood out to you with studying art was solving problems, like having those parameters and then getting to kind of figure out how to fit within them and how to solve it. Do you feel like you do that with teaching? Like you give that to kids? 
I try to for sure. I try to ask provoking questions and mm-hmm. give directions that are more provoking than just like, this is how you're going to do it. You do this first, this second. You know, I kind of just tell them what I want them to do without telling them what I want them to do. You know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I get a lot of, oh, Mr. Quick, how am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to do that? And I was just like, that's the part that you have to figure out because that's where your creativity comes into play. Mm-hmm. If I tell you exactly how to do it, I will get 15 to 20 assignments back and they're all exactly the same. Yeah. So, you know, I try to give them room to figure things out, you know, and develop those skills at a young age. So when they get older, they can apply those skills to every facet of their life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like that's where the arts shine, you know? For sure. And do you feel like your teaching informs your art making or vice versa? Does your art making come into your teaching? I definitely feel like my art making comes into my teaching. Mm -hmm. Well, I look at art as an interpretation of the world around me. Mm -hmm. Not so much as just copying what I see, but taking what I see, ingesting it, internalizing it, and creating something based on my interpretation of that. Mm -hmm. So I kind of try to encourage my kids to do the same. I don't want them to become carbon copies. Yeah. So I think my art making informs my teaching a little bit more. I try to leave my artwork open for interpretation. And when I'm teaching, I try to leave the floor open for conversation. Let the conversation lead to discoveries and those aha moments that kids need, you know, and that they may not get unless you give them that space to talk through things and, you know, really discover their train of thought and how they process different ideas or concepts or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I would say my art informs my teaching. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit about, before we started recording, about your teaching situation right now. And I'm curious how you're handling it. And maybe if you could just share what's going on right now. (laughs) Well, it's funny because this is my very first year of teaching. So, Ah. right. So What a wild year. (laughs) Exactly. I was talking to one of my coworkers and he was saying like, you know, you will never forget this year, you know, right? <laughs> but it's definitely tough because I'm trying to figure out how to just be a teacher <laughs> mm-hmm. on top of figuring out how to maneuver through this virtual learning space. You know, it's kind of like double the work almost for me because I'm trying to figure out classroom management, assessment, student questioning, all those different things that come with learning to be a teacher on top of learning to do it virtually. And, you know, Mm -hmm. art being such a hands-on area of learning, sometimes it's disappointing, you know, because you want to do certain things and you're just not able to in a virtual space because kids don't just have random art supplies laying around their homes. Right. So, you know, it's a lot of problem solving. It's a lot of improvising and making the best of what you have. It's a lot of small activities, small drawing activities, getting them to really brainstorm and figure out different ways to do stuff. One of the assignments I gave my students was focusing on line as an element of art, you know, and so I decided to give them a comic book project. You know, they had to write their own story, whatever kind of story they wanted to write, and then create a comic from that. 
but they couldn't use color. They could only use lines to show whatever emotion they was trying to show or whatever action they were trying to show. So trying to figure out ways to still get them learning and creating and keep them engaged, but stay within those parameters of what I know they can access at home. I know some schools have done art kits and that sort of thing. Is that something your school was not really able to do? Right. We weren't able to do the art kits or anything yeah. like that. So it's kind of just like, we'll see what they have and try to work around it, you know? Right. Yeah. It's so tough. I feel like I've done every version of like, this is what you can do with cardboard. This is what you can do with a piece of paper and a pencil. (laughs) Right. Yeah. For my kindergartners, I actually gave them a little activity where I cut out these small little cardboard shapes and I just let them paste it on these big sheets of paper. Just They made so many little creative designs with <laughs> I was so impressed by it because they literally made something out of nothing. Like mm-hmm. I spent the entire night before, like cutting these small shapes out of boxes that I just had of cardboard. And it's amazing what can come from nothing, literally, you know, can come from a box. Yeah. I feel like teaching, especially when you have super limited or like non-existing budgets, <laughs> I feel like right. teaching can really, I don't know, it's made me reevaluate what materials are useful or not. Yeah, for sure. I guess it makes you value what you have a lot more, you know, when, when you're limited on what you can have. It, it makes you value what you have. Yeah. And you were saying you're in person now with your kindergartners, but it's the fifth and seventh graders that are still online or are they hybrid? They're partially in person. Well, for me, the fifth and seventh right. are fully virtual. Yeah. But they do come to school for their core subjects if their parents choose to let them come. Some students are completely virtual for core subjects and enrichment. Others come to school for core and then go home and take their enrichment or, you know, vice versa. My school is on a very, very complex schedule, you know. (laughs) But kindergarten and preschool, they stay the entire day. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very unique schedule. It might be the only school in America on this schedule. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, complicated scheduling. Very, very complicated. And then with the little ones, with the kindergartners, are they spaced out and wearing masks? And how is that going? I can just imagine (laughs) trying to enforce any of the social distancing. Social distancing is very close to non-existent with five-year-olds. Like, they, <laughs> they don't understand the concept of that at all. So you kind of uh, try to be lenient, but at the same time, you try to remind them, like, you know, we can't be so close. We can't do this. We can't do that. Mm-hmm. They don't really have too much issues keeping their mask on, which is surprising oh, to me. They keep their mask on pretty well. You know, you may have to remind them every now and then. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of like where our mask supposed to be and they'll pull them up, and, you know. <laughs> but they just love hugs. They love to be like right next to each other or right next oh. to you. You know, you hate to tell a five-year-old, no, you can't hug me, you know. Right. Oh. That's tough. Yeah, I feel like that would be the hardest part of this right now. I was saying I have a five-year-old at home. And when I've taught kindergarten in the past, it was always this stream of kids like running up to hug you and right. know, they just yeah. want that contact. Yeah, you know, and they need it at that age. You know, they need that love and I guess nurturing. It is hard mm-hmm. to be like, no, I can't hug you right now, <laughs> you know. 
Yeah. Do the air hugs. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, it's, it's just not the same. Right, right. Totally. Is there anything that's been helping you? Like any tips or any sort of tools that have been really helpful through this world of online and hybrid teaching? I don't know if there are any like tools or tips that have really helped me. Mm-hmm. But I think in general, the thing that's helped me the most has been just my coworkers, you know, mm-hmm. the more veteran teachers. When I feel kind of overwhelmed or defeated, they reel me back in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been the biggest help for me this year, you know, just having somebody to lean on. And, you know, even family and friends also, you know, I don't want to leave those people out. Yeah, <laughs> You know, just having people to lean on just kind of gives me that extra energy boost to go back in and just keep fighting and keep trying to figure it out. Yeah. And do you have, you must have a one or two other art teachers at your school. You have like a one, art one other art teacher. One, one other. other. I'm just yeah. guessing because you're not with all the grades. So, <laughs> like I said, the schedule is so crazy. So yeah. they're dividing the grades up by enrichments. Certain grades only take music, certain grades only take art, certain grades only take PE. And then I guess throughout, you know, they might have music one year and then the next year they have art. Yeah. Well, uh, I know last year before I was there, They said that the students got all of the enrichments at once. Mm. But now because of COVID and how they had to just shake everything up. Yeah. They wanted to make sure that students at least got one elective class. So Mm. they had to adjust it that way. Yeah. That's wild. (laughs) And it sucks because, you know, some kids in the sixth grade, they're missing out on taking art. They, and right. art can be what they actually want to take, but they're forced to take whatever other enrichment class that's offered for their grade. So COVID yeah. has definitely restricted a lot of things and it made some issues for a lot of people. Yeah. Looking from like an admin perspective, I can imagine how that scheduling puzzle is just, <laughs> must be wild. Yeah. I would not want to in their shoes. Yeah. But then hearing that from the kids' perspective, it's like, in sixth grade, I want art. Why don't I have art? Right, right. Yeah, it's so tough. I mean, lots of things that are really tough right now. You just got to figure it out, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. We do the best with what we've got. We've been talking about sort of the way that you're teaching. Would you want, and you shared a little bit about like, I love that comic book line lesson uh-huh. in your teaching. Do you also introduce artists and what kind of artists are you sharing? I'm curious about like the content of what you're teaching. Oh uh, yeah. I definitely introduce artists, you know, because I always want to incorporate some level of art history. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to know where this concept or this style of art is coming from so you can have an appreciation for it and, and things like that. When we were talking about lines, I introduced them to Basquiat, Jeff Kuhn, those type of artists who used a lot of aggressive line work or even more subtle soft line work. So it just depends on what um, lesson we're going over with what artists I'm showing them. Yeah. We just finished a unit on pop art. So there was a lot of Andy Warhol, Roy Lichtenstein. Yeah. Those types of artists. So I try to keep it very diverse. I don't try to focus on one uh, demographic of artists. I try to for sure keep it diverse and give my students a very well balanced load of information on the different types of artists, the different styles of art, 
you know, just to show them and once again encourage them to, you know, bask in your individuality. There is no right or wrong when it comes to art. There's no set way to do it. There's no cookie cutter way to create. So mm-hmm. that's really what goes into how I introduce artists to them, you know, and I let them look through their work or I make them go find a specific piece of art from a specific artist Mm. and bring it back and tell me why you chose that artist. Why did you choose that piece of artwork? What stood out? You know, did you like it? Did you not like it? Mm -hmm. Because I also want to encourage them to be confident in saying that they may not enjoy a certain piece of artwork, but be able to verbalize and express why they didn't enjoy it. So yeah, that's what goes into it for me. Yeah. And you talked earlier a little bit about encouraging kids who look like you and maybe haven't gotten a lot of art. So I feel like that's probably part of it too giving them, showing them artists that also look like them and just that representation. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, For me, representation is everything. Mm -hmm. I think if you see someone that looks like you doing a certain thing, whatever that thing may be, it makes that thing that more attainable for you in your mind. If you never see someone that looks like you doing something, you may feel like that's not for you to have. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it definitely makes something, it makes things more attainable for sure. Yeah, I felt that a bit from just like the female perspective, not seeing women in certain roles. And yeah, it definitely changes things. Yeah, especially in art, because I guess historically, art has always been so white male dominated. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so get to see people of color as much or even women. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely important to highlight those people mm-hmm. because otherwise no one will ever know. Yeah. But then I love what you're saying, too, that it really goes beyond that. That's kind of the starting point, sharing that wide range of artists and letting kids see, you know, artists that do and don't look like them. But then also I loved how you were talking about helping them become sort of confident talking about art and making decisions within their own work, but also making decisions about what they do and don't like. All of that goes into it. Yeah, for sure. I try to push the things that I know will benefit them later in life, even after they graduate. In their adult life, I try to push those skills and try to help them develop those skills. Especially during this time of COVID, it is kind of hard to really focusing on art and that curriculum is kind of hard to do it. Mm-hmm. So I focus in on the important things of life. I try to prepare my students for life after school in whatever field they want to be in. Yes, absolutely. I so, so, so appreciate your written reviews. It is incredibly meaningful to hear your feedback and how these conversations inspire, encourage, and entertain you. So if you're enjoying the show and you want to continue to support the show, reviews make such a difference, and they don't cost any money. You can leave a review by just scrolling to the bottom of wherever you're listening to this and hitting the five stars or writing what you've enjoyed about the show so far. Another fabulous and free way that you can support the show is to share the episodes you're listening to on Instagram or your favorite social media, Facebook, Twitter, I don't know, whatever you have. Screenshot and share to your stories in Instagram 
It makes me so happy to see you folks listening to this in your studios, on your commute, in your classroom, and to hear what your takeaways are. Don't forget to tag Teaching Artist Podcast so I can see it. And if you want to also tag my personal account, you can, and that is Pots Art, P-O-T-T-S-A-R-T. I would love to hear more about your art making. Maybe just to kind of start off, could you describe your work and what you're making? I think the best way to describe my work, if we're talking just visually, I think I make very vibrant artwork. I use a lot of bright colors that you have no choice but to look at. You know, I want to give my audience no choice but to at least give my artwork a look. Mm. with the colors I use and everything. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because it contrasts my personality because I am not a bright color wearer. Like, you know, <laughs> I will literally wear all black every day, all day, you know. But <laughs> if you look at my art, you would never be able to tell that I created it. I think that's one of the most interesting things about my artwork. But I think it also gives people a look into who I truly am and who and the way brain function. My brain functions like in a mile a minute. It's very constant. I'm always thinking about things. I'm always analyzing things and trying to figure out why things are the way they are. And I think sometimes that comes out in my artwork. Mm. My creative process is kind of, I guess you could say it's linear. It's a linear process because, you know, I have a goal in mind and I just go step by step to figure it out. But my artwork changes a lot during the process, you know, it never turns out the way I expected it to turn out in the beginning. Are you ever unhappy with how it turns out or kind of dissatisfied? Like, oh, that changed too much. I wouldn't say I've ever been dissatisfied with it, but I have kind of stepped back and tried to figure out if I'm allowing mistakes to change the trajectory of these pieces or if it's just me seeing something that I want to do differently and just going. I've always said that I feel like no artist has ever truly finished a piece of artwork. Mm-hmm. You just kind of stop working on it, you know? <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm done now, you know, but... I don't think any of my pieces are ever truly finished because there's always so much more you can do. But I think that's just how life is. You know, we're all works in progress and we're never truly a finished product. Even up until the day we take our last breath, we're never a finished product. So I think that's the beauty of it all. Oh, yeah, that is beautiful. That's inspiring because I feel like it's so easy to be, you know, your own worst critic and just be so hard on yourself. I've definitely had artworks that I start with a really clear idea in mind and I can't get to that idea and I just get so frustrated. And it's the same thing I see happen with students where they just want to like crumple up their paper and throw it away. So I admire not (laughs) crumpling up the paper. Yeah, just keep going, just keep going. I tell my students all the time, like, stop saying your work is ugly. Stop saying it. Don't ever put yourself down. Like, Mm. that's what the world is for. You know, the world is going to put you down every single day. Like, (laughs) at least give yourself a pat on the back, you know, because we need it. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, like, I'm the only person in the room that is 
I guess you can say a professional artist, you know, with the air quotes, but even I mess up and make mistakes and it's okay. That's the thing about art. You can just start over. You can you can keep going. You know, every painting has an ugly phase. Every drawing has an ugly phase, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just gotta keep going through it. It is you know, it comes out beautiful every time. Yeah. I love that idea, the ugly phase. I'm picturing, <laughs> you know, like my school photos from middle school with like <laughs> messed up hair and <laughs> yeah, everybody has that awkward phase. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Push through it all. And I love just seeing your work. I like how, I don't know if you've done this in maybe a few pieces where you use this paint pouring method, but then you add more into it. You know, I've seen those just pure abstract paint pour, but I like that you're kind of adding more back into that. You're using that as one technique. I haven't done that on more than one, I did that on one piece. Yeah, and I, did I think something. I saw the video of that, which was really cool. I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. that. I did something similar on a newer piece, but it wasn't actually a pour. It was the newer piece that I did. It was more of like a sponge technique. Uh, but to your point with the paint pouring, I discovered paint pouring. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is interesting. So I experimented on a few smaller canvases. And I was like, okay. I, I kind of got the concept of how it works and everything. Yeah. So I was like, how can I take it to another level? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I decided to combine that technique with, I guess you can say, realism. So the combination of those techniques, I guess it, for me, it just created something different, like an alternate universe type of look. And I was just, yeah. and I fell in love with that, you know. And I'm currently about to start working on a, a series of paintings similar to that one, mm-hmm. just on a very large scale, on a much bigger scale. So mm-hmm. I'm excited started on that for sure yeah that is exciting and what kind of space do you have for your art making are you working from home and how do you kind of fit that into your space oh yeah I'm just working I just (laughs) create my artwork in my living room you know I just recently bought a desk Mm -hmm. that I guess you can say reclines or whatever like it has that incline oh yeah cool yeah like that because at first I was just like a tarp on the floor and I'm just on the floor painting or whatever. And that was killing my back. So Mm. I had to get something different. So I'm excited about that too. Yeah, that's awesome. I also just work at home and it's kind of a disaster. (laughs) But (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Uh, My last apartment, I had like paint splattered all on the walls. (laughs) (laughs) Like the video you watched, that was in my last apartment. Okay. That was the space where I would create right in the living room and it would be painted on the wall. But me being an artist, I just painted over those spots and matched it to the paint that was on the wall. So I wouldn't like have to pay anything when I moved out. Right. Yeah, I know. We have carpet now, which my husband was so excited about because he wanted to roll around on the floor with our daughter. (laughs) But I was like, oh, no, there goes our deposit. Right. Yeah, that was the first thing I bought when I moved here. I bought a a tarp, like a 10-foot tarp, so I could at least try to keep it off the carpet. Right. That's one of the challenges of being an artist. Yeah. No matter how hard you try, when you pull the tarp up, it's going to be some paint on your carpet. (laughs) Right, somehow. (laughs) Like, I know I was being careful this time. Oh, 
And you talked about how you're, like you said, professional artist with the air quotes. And I think you should take those air quotes away. (laughs) But I would love to hear about how you're kind of seeking opportunities. Are you selling work? And wherever you are in that, would you have tips for other artists? Well, right now, for me, seeking opportunities just means what I did to even be featured on this podcast, Mm -hmm. you know, submitting my artwork, just trying to get some type of recognition for what I'm trying to do, you know, some type of exposure. Mm -hmm. I just developed a website. So that's where I sell my artwork now Mm -hmm. called gqart.com, G-E-E-Q-U-E art.com. And so I sell my artwork on there. I sell prints of my artwork and I also have my original pieces for sale on that website. So I'm excited about that journey. I actually just made my first sale a few days ago. So I'm very excited about that. Congratulations. That's awesome. So yeah. And as far as tips, consistency, you know, you just got to be consistent. You have to constantly be in the people's faces. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They just have to see you, you know, if they don't see you, they won't know. So Mm -hmm. Twitter, you know, my social media is just, it's my artwork, you know, constantly posting my work. Whenever I'm working on something new, I post my works in progress. Even my YouTube channel where I post some time-lapse videos, which I need to start back doing. Mm-hmm. And just all of those different avenues to just be seen. Because with art, that's all you, you look at. It. So right. I need you to look at it. And I'm also developing a podcast of my own. Oh, awesome. Where kind of it's not like a teaching artist podcast, but it's definitely a podcast where myself and a group of my friends who are also artists will be discussing different topics surrounding art. So mm-hmm. all of that stuff will be linked to that website though. So that's where everybody who may be interested can access it. You gotta try a lot of different things to be successful in art. It's a part of being creative. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of it is also putting yourself out there and then trying things out. And if it doesn't work, do something else, right? Yeah. You got to know how to adjust and maneuver for sure. If I have any advice for anybody, it's stay consistent and do not be discouraged because Mm -hmm. that next post or that next promotion that you put out may be the one that catches on and you never have to look back, but you just got to keep going in order to find out. Yeah. And I love that too, like not being discouraged because especially if you're submitting to a lot of open calls and putting yourself out there, you're going to get rejections and letting them roll off your back and like send the next one in. Yeah, it's definitely a part of it. You got to go through a lot of those to get to that yes. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's worth it. It's definitely worth it if it's something you're passionate about. And I'm definitely passionate about this. So I'm going to keep going. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I'd love to hear also what sort of ideas are behind your work. What are you thinking? What are you trying to say with it? Is it kind of new with each piece or do you have an overall sort of theme? I think my overall theme is to just provoke thought. I get a lot of people asking me, you know, what does this piece mean? What were you thinking when you created this piece? Mm -hmm. And my response to them is always like, what do you think? Mm -hmm. I think that's what inspires me to create. I like to evoke thought. With all of my pieces, they're all kind of ambiguous. You never, Mm -hmm. they, they look nice and everything like that, but there's no real concept for it. Like visually, you don't really see a visual concept of it. Because I like that mystery. I like 
the conversations that they can start because there are so many different perspectives that mm. you can get from our artwork. Yeah, I like that, that everybody can look at it and see, kind of make their own interpretation. I love that. I love that about my art, to be able to get five different interpretations for five different people, you know. Mm-hmm. That's when I feel like I've done my job. Yeah. And do you ever come up against like creative block and how do you kind of get past that if you do oh yeah for sure all the time for me i get away from it i have to just take a step back from all of it when that happens and do other things and also i know that i follow a lot of artists on twitter but when i have those moments of creative block the last thing i want to do is get inspired or get an idea from another artist's work Mm -hmm. so what i would do is i would like mute every other artist on my Twitter so I don't see any art because that's not how I want to create. I don't want to create based off someone else's idea. I just try to separate myself from it completely for maybe a week or two and then I'll be doing something random and then it'll come to me and then, you know, the juices are back flowing. So sometimes the best thing to do is just step away from it. Don't try to force it because then you'll just kind of be doing something just to say you're doing it. You know, it is no real thought behind it. Yeah, I feel like those times are good times to maybe work on some of the other aspects like, okay, I'm not going to make right now, but I can fix my website or submit to some more calls, do all the sort of busy admin work of being an artist. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's a lot more that goes into it than just creating. So right. yeah, you don't have to always create, you know, I personally believe in quality over quantity. Mm. So if I can get five or six really solid pieces in over the course of a year, then I would rather do that anyway. Mm-hmm. Than just have 30 or 40 okay pieces that I'm kind of satisfied with just to say I did all of this this year, you know? Right. I would rather have a few pieces that I believe in uh, than I don't. Thank you. That almost feels like permission a little bit. So I love yeah. hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay, it Rebecca, that you didn't make anything this week. <laughs> it's perfectly okay. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it can be so hard and we put so much pressure on ourselves. And exactly like you're saying with seeing, you know, if you're following lots of other artists on social media and you're seeing people posting new things all the time and you're like, ah, I don't have time to do that. that that is absolutely correct. Uh, I talked to uh, my best friend who's also an artist and we talk about it all the time. Like, how are these people having the time to create so much? It seems like every day they're posting something new. It's like, right. where are y'all finding this time? But you just have to understand everybody's circumstances are different. Mm-hmm. You create with the time you have. So yeah, it's definitely 100% okay not to create sometimes. Right. (laughs) Yes, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And thinking of that time, when do you kind of fit in art making? What does a week look like for you? Well, Monday through Thursday, I am obviously at school. So I'm working. On Fridays, we work from home for a half a day. So after noon, I try to fit in some time to create whether that may be commissions or my own stuff. Mm -hmm. Because currently right now, I'm working on commissions. I have a few people who commissioned me to do some paintings for them. So that's what I'm working on. That's great. So yeah, Fridays and Saturdays are mainly for commissions or Mm -hmm. just creation. I'll just say creation. And then Sunday is kind of like 
resting and recharging for the week. Mm-hmm. So it's basically just Friday and Saturday where I try to fit in time to create or do what I need to do for my own art career. Yeah, that's great. I feel like it's always so helpful to hear how other artists who are also teaching, you know, just juggling a lot, how we fit it all in. Yeah, I know some artists who, who some art teachers who work on their own stuff while they're at school. They get the opportunity to teach in person. You know, they can kind of incorporate the two things together. And I think that's important also to for your students to see their teacher creating. Yeah. I think that's a very important thing too, so. Do you ever do that? Well, I don't because my students really wouldn't be able to see me creating, but I have so many other responsibilities in the school Yeah. where I really wouldn't even have time to sit down and work on anything. Yeah, and maybe that will all change. I feel like right now there's a lot more on teachers' plates, figuring out, going back and forth between in-person and online, and especially also as a new teacher, there's a lot to kind of figure out yes it's a lot it's oh uh, yes yeah, <laughs> you know figuring out how to lesson plan and mm-hmm. submit grades and submit attendance and just all of these different things you're trying to figure out yeah totally and then you couple that with trying to figure out the virtual piece so mm-hmm. it's it's a lot you know yeah it does get easier <laughs> looking forward I have a couple just kind of fun wrapping up questions. What are you curious about? It's a great question. Uh, (laughs) It's very broad. (laughs) It's a very broad question. Um, What am I curious about? For me, as it pertains to art, Mm -hmm. the one thing that I'm very curious about is with the advancement of technology and the way people can create art and things like that. I'm curious about how art is going to evolve in the next 10 to 15 years. Because with the advancement of digital art and Procreate, Illustrator, Photoshop, all these different things, will there still be a market for canvas art, acrylic on canvas or oil on canvas? Will there still be a market for that in the next 10 to 15 years? So I think that's something very interesting because I recently started seeing a lot of stuff about crypto art. Mm-hmm. And I still don't, have a full concept of what that is but from my understanding it has something to do with like bitcoin and all this different type of stuff so yeah that's what i think about a lot where will the market for art be mm-hmm. in 10 to 15 years that is really interesting to think about i feel like somebody else it must maybe another artist i was talking to here brought up that crypto art so now i'm like i really have to go look into it i tried to research it and i read it it read it again and read it again and it just seemed like another language to me like I right it, but, <laughs> but yeah it's been a big thing and i kind of found out about it on twitter because there was like this big commotion about some artist who kind of copied a basquiat piece and sold it for like some crazy amount of money and if that's the direction that art is trending towards that's kind of scary yeah i mean i feel like there will always be a market for handmade things and that evidence of the hand. But, you know, maybe that will be competing more and more with work that's created digitally. And then this, I mean, I don't think I totally understand it either, but it sounds like it's art that's connected to a blockchain, whatever that means. Right, right, right. Yeah, the blockchain. And I think it was the other, the artist that 
shared it with me before was saying one of the really cool things about this crypto art is that it's almost like royalties isn't the right word, but it's almost like the original artist gets paid a little bit every time the art is resold. I've seen talk about that within the art world and, you know, this capitalist society that if you sell a piece for $200 when you're really young and then your career starts to take off, that piece becomes worth so much more. But if your collector sells it, you don't see any bit of that. So kind of like making sure that the artist does see returns if their career takes off. So that's an interesting aspect. Yeah. I don't know. We could go go down like the rabbit yeah. hole of this stuff. <laughs> now I'm curious. I'm definitely going to do a lot more research on it. Yeah. Because that's definitely something that is sparking my curiosity. Totally. Okay. Just kind of a fun question. What is your favorite food? I may have to say burgers. I think a good burger is probably better than anything yeah and what do you put on it what's your like (laughs) best burger ever okay the best burger i've ever had was from this restaurant called ed's burger joint and the bun was two grilled cheese sandwiches so it's basically (laughs) between two grilled cheese sandwiches it had like like bacon three different types of cheeses super unhealthy but it was Like, it was the best burger I ever had. So, yeah, I think that's probably. Wow. Yeah. I feel like the unhealthy things are always really delicious. <laughs> oh, yeah. For sure. <laughs> uh, then is there anybody that you would want to thank or give sort of a shout out to? I would like to thank my mom for sure because she encourages me to do whatever it is that I'm really passionate about. She may um, warn me, be like, okay, be careful. Try to make sure you're making the best decision. But no matter what decision I make, I know she's always going to be in my quarter for mm-hmm. sure. And my dad, too, he gives me a lot of advice on a lot of life things, as a dad should, I guess, you know. Right. But he gives me a lot of advice, and he just always tells me how proud he is of me. And, you know, that, that goes a long way because, especially as an artist, you don't always get the recognition you feel like you deserve or that you just need to keep going. So, mm-hmm. My parents for sure, you know, and all of my friends as well. I don't really want to leave anybody out because they listen, they start looking at me crazy. But (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, all of my friends and definitely my parents for sure. Yeah, having that support system is huge. And last thing, where can listeners connect with you online? I know you mentioned your website, maybe share that with us again. And then if there's any social media that people can find you. Well, yeah, you can find my website. It's uh, gqart.com, G-E-E-Q-U-E-A-R-T.com. And my Twitter is at underscore GQ underscore. So underscore G-E-E-Q-U-E underscore. Cool. That is mainly where I'm most active on my Twitter. That's where I post most of my artwork. And then my website is where I will be selling my artwork. Mm-hmm. And my YouTube channel will be linked to my website. So you can access my YouTube from there. Cool. Awesome. And then I will link to everything as well. All right. Thank you so much, Greg. This was really wonderful just to hear your background, your teaching, so much good advice and just shared experience. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. 
thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or teachingartistpodcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.